0: You can also gain access to our found footage show, the Weird Tape series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: Hello, Meltopians. Due to unforeseen circumstances, we are not able to bring you a new episode of the Sleep-Wake Cycle this week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back on schedule next week with another Sleep-Wake Cycle episode. For today's episode, we have decided to unlock the first part of a three-part Patreon-exclusive Tales of Meltopia episode called The Dolmen." We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Alex hated the way the light reflected off the knotty pine wall. It reminded him of a time when he was a kid sitting on his grandmother's plastic cover couch, a gaudy hurricane lamp painting the room in a sickly, warm glow. He wasn't sure why the memory bothered him so much. It just did. And if he didn't do something about it quick, it would ruin his entire morning. Alex leaned over the nightstand, knocking over a bottle of antacids and some sleeping pills, and shut off the standing lamp darkness replaced the memory-conjuring light, and he could feel the melancholy fade, slowly but surely. That was a close one, he thought. Rising up like some undead creature of the grave, Alex got out of bed. He didn't want to. He'd much rather sleep. In fact, he often found himself wishing he could sleep the whole day away put himself on autopilot while wading through the doldrums of work, grocery shopping, and every other meaningless thing life demanded of him. He even stopped calling his friends. It was all just too much work. He'd spend hours at some hipster's new distillery pretending to enjoy all its different piss-flavored craft beers, all the while having to listen to his friends lament college days he couldn't give two shits about. The whole time, he'd have to pretend everything was okay. They didn't want to scream until his lungs gave out. No, he gathered he was better off staying home, even if it was just to ruminate about things he could never change. Alex eyed the tipped over Ambien on the nearby table and thought about taking them, wondering what it might feel like to swallow the little things, feel a calm, slumberous wave overtake him. He stared at the pills for a few seconds more. And then the thought died. He left the bedroom. After taking a shower, an activity that was becoming more and more infrequent, Alex went downstairs into the kitchen to get something to eat. The room was spacious and sterile, a perfect place to perform surgery. Alex hated it. His ex-wife, Lydia, loved the modern clean look. White walls, bright lighting, stainless steel appliances. It only reminded him of his stay in the psych ward all those years ago. The whole thing was too antiseptic, bleaching the personality of everything in it. He even felt washed out. His thoughts and feelings blanched from the pale spirit of the room. He especially loathed the placement of the table and chairs, all situated beneath the stair of two double-hung windows. Him and Lydia would always have breakfast there, the sun an unwelcome third wheel. Its light always seemed dirty to Alex like rays of rusted illumination corroding everything it touched. But she was an admirer of the bright tyrant, and since he was able to put up thick drapery in the living room, he rarely contested it. He wasn't sure why he kept it there after she left. Maybe it was because it reminded him of her, a mnemonic device that could summon her back, if only briefly. Either that, or he simply didn't have the motivation to move it, His memories millstones, he no longer had the will to drag. The refrigerator offered little in the way of sustenance. A few hot dogs lingering in the meat drawer, some unwrapped salami neighboring it. He lifted the gallon of milk from the top shelf and searched the carton for a date. It was a little past its expiration. But the alternative would require him to leave the house or cook something. Even less palatable options. He grabbed a box of cereal, something with marshmallows in it, poured it into a bowl, and joined it with a questionable dairy. He didn't care about the slightly sour taste or the stale pieces of whole grain he was chewing on. His mind was spelunking the mental depths, shining light on all its little dark spots. Today it landed on his son, Gerald. He was only 12 years old, but precocious, smart enough to know something was different about his father. He visited him with his mother in the ward all those years ago, a place where dad took pills from little white cups and wasn't allowed to wear shoes with laces. Alex remembered being mad at Lydia for bringing him for exposing him to the terrible truths of the world, that not all stories had happy endings, that you can't always be what you want to be, that sometimes life is awful and there's nothing you can do about it. He remembered seeing his son's bright young face amongst the chaos of ward doctors, cage-face nurses' stations, and gown-wearing mental patients. He worried the experience would stay with his son, cling to him like one of those ghosts that haunt people instead of places, terrorizing them for the rest of their life. But to his surprise, Gerald simply sat next to him, teary-eyed and pleading, and asked, Why are you so sad, Daddy? The question's brevity belied its enormity as the inquiry swelled to tremendous proportions. He could cite a laundry list of possible causes. The death of his parents, his turbulent marriage, unemployment. But those were all just proxies pageantry to decorate the hollow no the honest answer was he didn't know something in his brain was broken he imagined his mind to be something of a subdued light show synapses shorting and sparking across a tangled gray landscape the physics of misery on full display the doctors called it major depressive disorder but alex knew it as a lifelong companion an unimpeachable sadness that clung to him as surely as the skin on his back. But that was all too complicated, too morose for a five-year-old to absorb. Instead, Alex simply shook his head and hugged his son, hoping that would be enough for the child. And it was, for a time. As the years passed, however, Alex could see his son's sympathetic eyes harden into castigating glares. He didn't blame him. How many times had he laid in bed for days ignoring his son? How many instances had the boy watched his father break down into a sobbing mess? How many family outings had been sullied by Alex's never-ending dour mood? With every transgression, he could feel Gerald become more distant, more vacant, a drifting astronaut fading into space. The divorce made things worse. His son visited on weekends, but he wasn't really there. His presence bordered on incorporeal, a ghost meandering the house. On the occasion the two spoke, the words were contrived, rehearsed, prescripted discussions taken off a shelf somewhere. Once in a while, he'd try to have a heart-to-heart with his son, but the boy was a bulwark, unmoving and stolid. He would pantomime the gestures of interest, head nodding, eye contact, the occasional smile. But beneath it all was a cold front, a wintry reception for the man pretending to be dad. But perhaps the worst part of the weekend was the smile that overcame Gerald's face when it was all over. The glee he experienced when he heard the purr of displaced gravel from his mother's approaching Subaru. For Alex, that smile was a crescent-shaped knife plunged deep into his heart. And he had it to look forward to every week. Alex suddenly jolted back to the present, escaping the black hole of his thoughts. He picked up his empty cereal bowl, a bit of pinkish milk still swishing at its bottom, and joined it with a pile of dishes stacked in the sink. Flies and other tiny pests were starting to gather around the mess like it was a sacred site at the end of some long pilgrimage. He told himself he would clean them tomorrow, but that's what he said the day before. Life, in general, had become that way. A never-ending series of snowballing tomorrows, each one promising a better life, each never coming. Alex abandoned the sink and walked into the living room, seeking the refuge of his aging recliner. He slunk into the old thing, its cushions relenting in all the familiar places. To his left was one of those untable lamp combos he bought from the discount section at a local Walmart. It was really the only piece of furniture he cared about in the room. That and the chair he was sitting in. The rest of the space had to be refurnished after Lydia took most of the furniture. So he splurged a little and bought a couch and a loveseat, stuffing them into the place where a leather sectional used to be. He didn't have the eye his ex-wife did, though, so the room looked a bit cramped, like the furniture was squabbling over space. But in his little corner... Where a comforting amber light spilled over him and his ruined lazy boy, he was satisfied. It was the one spot in the house he felt at home. It didn't take long for Alex's contentment to wear, however. An uneasy sense of dread started to overtake him. He felt laquescent, unsolid, like the lines that defined him were blurred, a cave painting of a human being. He used to try and attach a particular cause to the sensation like a memory or event. But the years had taught him there was no such motive. It was just the rote of a busted system, electrochemical signals zigging when they should zag. It was worse that way, to know that one's misery had no meaning, no historicity, but rather simply the result of bad wiring. He was no different than a broken-down car or blue-screen computer in that way. Alex grabbed the book sitting on the bottom shelf of the end table. It was a fantasy novel he'd been nickel and diming over the past six months, part of one of those epic series you weren't sure the author would live long enough to finish deals. It was a bit slow, dry in places, but it allowed him to live in a different world for a time, get away from the one inside his head. He opened the tome-like paperback and flipped to the page with a bookmark in it. A diagram lay sprawled across the two uncoated pages. Alex was taken aback. Aside from the map in the beginning of the book, he didn't remember it containing any pictures. Curious, he flipped through the rest of the novel. The text was gone, all replaced by the same strange diagram. Alex shook his head as if to jostle something free that would make sense of what he was looking at. But the image remained. His hands began to tremble, almost dropping the book. He quickly steeled himself and then stared at the illustration, hoping that its content would provide an explanation. By all estimations, it seemed to be a blueprint for a gigantic stone altar. Its construction was simple enough, a round, flat rock balanced atop three finger-shaped stones. There was some complexity to it, as he could see things etched into its surface. Indecipherable writing, glyphs perhaps, snaking around the monument's legs... It reminded him of the ancient megaliths found all around Western Europe, like Stonehenge or the Ring of Brudgar. The main difference was the size of the thing. It was enormous. In the depiction, it towered over various buildings and houses, making them look like tiny congregants worshipping at the feet of some mammoth stone idol. But there was nothing about it that explained why it was in this book. He wondered if his son had something to do with it perhaps playing a practical joke on him. Maybe he removed the cover and carefully glued it onto the spine of another text. But but what book would have 700 pages of the same diagram? Of a stone altar, no less. He put the book back down on the end table, handling it with the carefulness of a baby or an armed bomb. His mind began to race. What if he had finally cracked? Had the misery piled up so high that his brain broke? He knew his depression and anxiety had been particularly bad as of late, but he had never hallucinated. He was well past the age for something like that to develop now, wasn't he? But what other explanation was there? He eyed the book suspiciously, like it was a newly found mole or a black spot on an x ray. Trying not to dwell on this strange occurrence, Alex reached for the TV remote and turned the television on, hoping that it would provide a distraction. But when the screen hummed to life, he was only brought back to the strange stone altar of the preceding novel, as the diagram was now in gleaming 4K resolution. A scream teased the back of his throat. He forcefully swallowed it, thinking that its release would only make the 60-inch blueprint more real. He blinked a few times, hoping that reality might reset itself, uh, realize that it had made a terrible mistake. But the picture persisted, staring at him via millions of glowing pixels. His eyes turned to slits, scrutinizing the image that now seemed to be haunting him. He quickly grabbed the novel from where he placed it earlier, held it up in front of the television and opened it. The images were identical. Alex snatched the remote up again and hectically changed the channel, hoping to summon anything but the drawing in front of him. But each station responded with the same megalithic illustration. He frantically picked up a DVD and slid it into the player sitting atop the entertainment center. Blackness momentarily replaced the Rocky Monument, and a nervous hope filled the void. It was dashed, however, when the screen revived with the same bizarre schematic. Alex backed away from the television. He didn't know what to think. Had he gone nuts? Could this all be real? His thoughts became erratic, churning out the mental grist of a confused mind. He felt the impulse to go upstairs and take more Ambien, let the oblivion of sleep sweep away whatever this was. But he was too scared to become unconscious, worried the world might slip out from beneath his pillow. Still only in a tank top and shorts, Alex opened the double pane doors to his back porch and went outside. The sun hit him like a stage light, beaming and hot. He winced in the summer brightness, his eyes becoming razors. The drone of lawnmowers and buzzing cicadas sounded in the background, the elevator music of suburbia. It all seemed so paradoxical, deceptive, like an upbeat pop song being played during a murder. Outside, everything was as it should be. Birds chirped, breezes blew, kids yelled. But inside, the world was collapsing and he didn't know why. He looked over at the picket fence to his left. His neighbor was lounging in her lawn chair, a half-drunk mimosa in her hand. To his right, the Silvermans did lawn work, Harold clipping the hedges and Hannah gardening in a much-too-small orange halter top. He wanted to ask one of them if they had experienced anything strange, but he was already on thin ice with these people. He had never been too neighborly, bordering on unfriendly and his apparent disregard for the HOA rules had rubbed some the wrong way. He didn't give a shit, though. Proximity didn't merit special treatment, and if they didn't like the shade of blue, he painted his window frames and they could go fuck themselves. Unfortunately, his past attitude made him somewhat of a pariah in his own neighborhood. Talking to someone now, even if it was an innocent question, would surely summon a swift and scathing rebuke. His pride got caught in his throat as he tried to swallow it and he wandered back inside. As he always did when he was nervous, Alex paced the floor, tracing little X's with his thumb into his index finger. It was a weird tick to have, but it made him feel better. There was probably some complex reason for it, a neurological thing or another that somehow helped disperse anxiety, but right now all he could think about was that damn altar. Thoughts of his son also barged in. If this was something psychological and Lydia got wind of it, he could be certain she'd report it to the courts. Their divorce had not been amicable, and he could think of few things she would enjoy more than taking his son away from him. As it was, she didn't like Gerald seeing him on the weekends. Alex could only imagine what having a psychotic break would do for his case. He could lose his visitation rights entirely. He liked to think that in today's society, the judicial system would have more sympathy for the mentally ill. But most progress on that front was just lip service. At best, he would be seen as unstable. At worst, a mass shooter just waiting to happen. He needed to get ahead of this. Alex grabbed his phone from his pocket and scrolled through the contacts until he landed on his psychiatrist, Dr. Malone. He clicked on the name and waited for the ringtone. For a moment, nothing happened, and Alex started to wonder if he hadn't pressed the right button. But then, from the staticky silence, a deep voice emerged. Immediately, he knew it wasn't Dr. Malone. In fact... He wasn't even sure it was a person at all. It sounded slowed down, like an old audio tape being played on its lowest speed. The words were indecipherable, foreign, like nothing he had ever heard before. There was a diablerie to them, akin to hearing whispers in the basement or chants in the nighttime woods. They made him feel small, crowded, like whatever it was that was speaking was taking up the whole room. The feeling expanded. And for a moment, he pictured something blotting out the stars, smothering them like small panfires. A sense of claustrophobia overtook him, and he finally hung up the phone. He stood there, motionless, fearing that if he moved, something giant might pluck him from his home, lift him deep into the vastness of space. He slowly sat down on the couch next to him. He felt fragile, breakable, like the slightest move could cause him to shatter. He gently relaxed his body and let the weight of his thoughts bring his head down upon one of the many pillows decorating the sofa. He closed his eyes and let blackness replace the world. After images floated in the void, colors and lines moving to form a vague simulacrum of his living room. But as the shapes moved into place and a picture began to emerge, it was not the room he was dwelling in that came into focus, but rather the outline of a behemoth altar. The scream that had been perched in his throat was finally set free.
1: (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.